Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Aoife. That is how you say dog if you're a Seminole Indian. My master thought it was fun to call his dog, Dog, so that's my name, Aoife. That's okay with me, though. It's easy to remember. I live here in a place they call Fort Brook by Tampa Bay in Florida. I was left here by my master, a Seminole Indian named John Horse, but I am not sure why. There are a lot of soldiers here, but just a few dogs. I don't have to hunt for food anymore because the soldiers feed me their leftover scraps. That's good enough for this old dog, but I hope my master comes back someday for me. Well, thank you, Aoife, and hello and welcome to our listeners. The little children's book with a big heart is called Aoife. Jerry C. Morris wrote it, and the Seminole Wars Foundation published it to give young people an image for what life was like in Tampa during wartime in 1838. Many books by many reputable writers have been penned to tell the human story of the Second Seminole War, but until now, no one has ever told the dog story. Related from Aoife's viewpoint, the story recalls a period of Florida history we call the Second Seminole War. As we have discussed previously on this podcast, From 1835 to 1842, the United States government attempted to forcibly remove the Seminole people from their Florida homes to reservations in what is now Oklahoma. One of the saddest things in this very sad tale was that the army would not permit the departing Seminoles to take their dogs with them. As the ships departed, many dogs were left sitting on the shore, watching their masters on ship decks pass out of sight, never to return. One of those Indians was a black Seminole who went by the name of John Horse, or Gopher John. After a prolonged and valiant resistance, often leading many black Seminoles into battle against the army, John Horse eventually was forced to surrender in April 1838 and was removed to the Oklahoma Territory. In this book, Jerry Morris imagines that Aoife belonged to John Horse and pines each day for his return. Jerry Morris is a longtime living historian of the Second Seminole War. He dressed as a soldier of that era and actually hiked the march of Major Dade's ill-fated column from Tampa to present-day Bushnell. He joins us today to discuss everything about Aoife, the Seminole Dog. Throughout this podcast, Aoife will rejoin us. Each time Aoife does, we will proceed it with his distinctive bark. In doing so, Aoife will present his insights on his life as he yearns for John Horse to come back for him. Will he? Spoiler alert. This is a children's book. No one goes away unhappy. Jerry Morris, welcome to the Seminole Wars. Thank you, Patrick. Jerry, what made you want to write a children's book about a dog in the Seminole Wars? They wouldn't let the Indians take their dogs with them when they shipped them out to Oklahoma. They left the dogs behind. And eventually the dogs got so numerous, the soldiers came by and had to shoo them away? They would be 10 or 15 dogs standing there on the banks as the ship left, and they would stand there and watch the ship till it went out of sight. And doing that two or three times, they got to be where there's so many dogs, they had to shoot them. One survived, so that's the one that he is. Oh! 
Many days I lay there in the shade of a big oak tree at Fort Brook, thinking about the day when he left. A lot of other Seminoles had come to the fort with us. They had dogs too, and I made friends with many of them. I never understood why our masters left us. As best as I can remember, I don't recall doing anything wrong. I'd be real quiet when he said to be quiet, and I would stay where I was when he wanted to go off by himself and said, stay. I think when he went off sometimes, he wanted me to stay and watch things around the camp. That's what I was good at. If anyone or anything came around, I'd bark and act mean until they left. Then one day it was different. A big ship came and the soldiers tied it up at the edge of the salty water. All the Seminoles went over to where it was and me and several other dogs went along with them. After a little while, all the Seminoles got on the ship, but soldiers told us dogs to stay and would not let us follow our masters. I watched as my master, John Horse, walked up and got on the ship, and I thought at any time he would call, Ifa, and I would run up to where he was. He never called. I was still sitting there on the shore with all of the other dogs, watching as the ship left without us. I thought he would come back, and I went every day and sat by the water and watched for him to return. He never did. All the other dogs would come sit with me, but each day there seemed to be one or two missing until one day there was just me. I felt lost without him. I still dream he will come back someday. As I sat there, a soldier came over and sat down beside me. He took a piece of meat from a bag he carried and gave it to me. It tasted almost as salty as the water in the bay. I was real hungry though, so I ate it anyway. He patted my head and that felt good. So when he got up, I did too, and I followed him. He must have been some kind of a chief because when he said things, all the soldiers listened real well. They only talked to him after he talked first. They called him Colonel. A dog notices such things. People don't know, but we do. The colonel, he seemed kind, and I liked him. The dog didn't know what was going on. He just knew what, what he'd done every day. <coughs> There's not much to do here. I walk around the fort and check on different things. Dogs like to smell things. That's the way we remember where we've been and who we've met. Every morning, I go over to the kitchen and smell what the soldiers are cooking. I hate it when all I smell is bread. I don't like to eat bread. I'll eat it if that's all I can get, but I always want some meat. I like the smell of meat and fish. Sometimes I smell a turkey or maybe a big sea turtle that someone caught. They always cook everything, but most meat tastes better to me uncooked. I always take whatever they give me though. I'm not picky. Soldiers don't like dogs that are picky. It was different when I lived with the Seminoles. Many days my master, John Horse, and I would go hunting. He would see some tracks on the ground and he would point them out to me. I would smell them real good and follow them step by step all through the woods. I could tell when we were catching up with the animal because the closer we got, the stronger the smell was. We hunted all kinds of animals like deer, wild hogs, turkeys, raccoons, rabbits, and squirrel. Hunting was fun. The Seminoles built a fire every day to cook things, and they would talk a lot while sitting around the fire. I never knew what they said. 
I just speak dog. And they, they never barked. There was always something hanging over the fire, cooking or wrapped up in big leaves and placed down in the ashes. Even though I told you that I like my meat uncooked, it would smell so good. But dogs can't have any unless the people give it to you. They could just reach right in there where the meat was hanging and use their knife to cut off a piece to eat. If I tried to get a piece, they would run me away from the fire yelling, Efa! real loud. That meant for me to get away from there. I'm just a dog. I only get to eat when they give me something. He liked to go down and sleep with the, the officers where they had all the horses at bed. And it was a way of talking about the horses is all. And they said if he barked just right when they rode some of them, they'd let him follow them. After smelling around the kitchen, I trot down to the other side of the fort where the horses stay. They aren't like dogs. They have their own place to stay and sleep. The soldiers have a name for it. They call it a stable. The stables and the horses have a smell I like. The soldiers took good care of the horses. The soldiers put a funny seat they call a saddle on the horses and ride them. If I bark just right, they will let me trot along with them. When they got back from riding, they took the saddles off the horses, wiped them down to get the sweat off, combed the horse's hair with a brush, and made sure the horses had grain and plenty of hay and water. Sometimes I wish I was a horse. The colonel who gave me meat and who I followed back to the fort had a horse. He called him Jumper. I remember one of the Seminole chiefs was called Jumper. Maybe the colonel knew him. Jumper seemed to get more hay than the rest of the horses, and he never ate it all. So that's where I slept most nights. I think he left some hay for me to sleep on so that I would be some company for him at night. One reason I liked his stable was because Jumper had a big bucket of water that they kept full for him to drink from. He didn't seem to mind if I took a few licks of the water when I wanted some. They were friends, and friends share things. Every day they had to go get water for the fort, and they had a big wagon with a drum on it. They'd take it down to the spring and fill it up with water and haul it back to the fort. And he'd go with them back and forth, and that was fun. And sometimes he'd go chase a rabbit while they were doing it. He could always get him a good lick of good water while he's asking the water that by the fort was hot and salt, and it didn't look good. <laughs> the water in the bay around the fort has salt in it. Salt water does not taste good. Yuck. The soldiers have a wagon with a big barrel on it. They hitch up two horses to pull the wagon. So the soldiers take the horses and the wagon with the big barrel and go about a half mile away to a place where water comes up right out of the ground. They call it a spring. They fill up the big barrel with sweet water from the spring. I go with them often. Now that's some good water. I just lap some up right from the spring. All I want and a little more. Old dogs get thirsty trotting around, and I'm an old dog named Aoife. After they get the big barrel filled with water from the spring, they head back to the fort with the water. They do this many times every day. They use a lot of water for cooking, drinking, and washing clothes. I don't even wear clothes, but people don't have thick fur coats like I do. All the horses have to have some water too, so when the big barrel gets empty, we go back to the spring for more. Down by the gate of the fort, they was 
sutlers and explained what sutlers was and one of the sutlers had a cat first time he saw him he didn't know what it was and he thought he was a skunk because he was black and he went up to smell him and the cat clawed him in his face <laughs> and he said, i don't know why i just try to be friends <laughs> the indians didn't keep cats because they moved too much one morning when i had nothing else to do i decided to trot down past the gate where there were some tents and buildings the people there are called sutlers, and they sell all sorts of things to the soldiers. Dogs don't have money or even pockets to carry it in if we did, so they can't sell me anything. They don't like dogs and usually try to make me run away from them. I remember the first time I went there, a long time ago, I saw an animal that I had never seen before, something they called a cat. That cat smelled funny to me, and he was not friendly either. When I tried to sniff him up close, he arched his back and made the hair behind his neck stand up. Then he hissed at me and tried to scratch me with his claws. I don't know why he did that. I was just being friendly and trying to figure out what he was. He looked like an animal I would run up on, sometimes out in the hammocks. They called it a skunk. They will spray stuff on you that stinks so bad that no one wants you around them for a long time. Well, a cat is not a skunk, but they're sure not friendly to us dogs. I decided to leave him alone and see what else I could sniff at. Cats are strange animals. I created a boy that had a canoe. And he took FIFA with him. They'd paddle around, and sometimes a guy would bring a fishing pole and they'd catch fish or something like that. And they could take that stuff back, and they would grew some banana trees along the, where the little creek came in. They would sell the bananas to the sutlers who would sell them to the soldiers. He'd buy them some sweet candies they could lick on. <laughs> there is a young boy that lives down there, and sometimes if I bring a stick with me, he will play the stick game with me. I can't play too long anymore. I just trot after the stick when he throws it instead of running. I've gotten too old to run for very long. I had more energy when I played the stick game with the Seminole. Why, I remember when I was a pup, I had a lot of fun running around the camp with all the Indian children. They would throw a stick and I would run and get it. I finally figured out that if I ran back with it and laid it down, they would throw it again, which was fun. To me, it was even more fun to run back and let them try to pull the stick out of my mouth. Who do you think was stronger? Their hands or my teeth? They liked it better if I just dropped it at their feet. And I learned that if that's what they wanted, then do it, just to keep playing. They always got tired of the game way before I did. It was fun living with the Seminoles. The boy has a canoe he keeps tied up by the river. Sometimes he lets me jump in it with him, and he paddles us around for a while. I like it when he brings a fishing pole and paddles us down to where the river runs into the bay. He always catches some fish there. I bark at the fish when they flop around on the bottom of the canoe after he takes them off the hook. The boy laughs at me for barking. Fishing is fun when you catch a lot of fish. After the horse jumper, the boy is my best friend. It's good to have friends, but I wish I had a dog friend sometimes. Around the bay near the fishing hole, there were also some wild banana trees growing. He takes a knife and cuts a bunch off. Back where the sutlers are, he can sell them or trade them for things he wants. Sometimes he gets us both a piece of sugar candy. I like to lick the sugar candy. Aoife was the dog of John Horse. 
or Gopher John, whichever one you want to call him, lived out to Notre Sasso. And he was one of the chiefs that I know that came back from out there. Now, at the end of the book, I had to figure out some way that they got back together. He could never understand why he went off and left it, but one day he was laying there and he smelled something that he shouldn't be smelling and something that he set up and he realized it was his master was coming back and he ran and they, they knew each other. And the army gave him a horse and away they went to search for the Seminole. They brought John Horse back to convince some of the Indians to get, turn yourself in and get transported out. One day, as I lay under the big oak tree enjoying the shade, something woke me up. As I opened my eyes, I saw this big ship tying up at the dock. It was the same kind of ship they used to carry all the Seminole away. It takes a while to tie the ship up and make it ready for people to get off. So I watched all the soldiers hurrying around and shouting at each other, trying to get the ropes tight. As a few people came down the walkway, I was about to close my eyes and go back to my nap. When I smelled something I had not smelled in a long time, I sat up to take a look and thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. I shook my head and rubbed a paw across my eyes to see a little better. It was him, my old master, John Horse. I took off as fast as an old dog could run. When he saw me coming, he bent down on one knee, held out his arms, and grabbed me around the neck. Ifa, he said. He was as glad to see me as I was to see him, and I licked his face and barked to say hello. The colonel came up and said something to my master and patted me on the head. I liked that. Then John Horse shook hands with the colonel, and they both smiled. I was so happy now. I could be a seminal dog again. I would miss the colonel, the boy with the canoe, and going out with the soldiers to the spring to get water. Most of all, I would miss the time I spent with my friend Jumper and the many nights we slept together in his stall. I would not, however, miss that darn cat I tried to make friends with. They gave my master a fine horse to ride and a sack full of food. So he left the soldiers and the fort behind and went in search of the Seminoles that had not been shipped away. What was the message you wanted to convey to children with the book about Aoife? Something about what went on at that time. If I wanted them to try to understand that something happened, I thought it was awful. They wouldn't let them take their dogs with them. They depended on their dogs a lot. I don't know what the reasoning was. They didn't want to feed them, I guess. I don't know. They never could find out why they didn't want to take them. They just didn't let them go. So you had this idea for a children's book about a dog in the Second Seminole Wars. How is it that you, Jerry Morris, came about to write it? And what challenges did you have trying to write a story through the eyes of a dog? I tried my best to get the Seminole Wars Foundation, some of those writers, to write a children's book. There wasn't any. And I said, well, I think I'll try to write it myself. There was one called The Drummer Boy at Fort Brook, which was completely fiction, not based on any kind of fact or anything, but it was a, it was a book kids and I kind of based it on that the book that, that that woman had written about the little drummer boy at Boy Brook only I based it on the dog and that's hard to do hard to write about a dog and the dog is the main character and he can't speak <laughs> and I read articles about it it said you have to be careful if you're writing it pretty soon you got the dog that's smarter than you are so you can't keep saying the dog said this so I thought I could do it from the point of the dog's thinking and the dog's dreaming 
And you know, in the afternoon, an old dog would lay down in the shade of an oak tree, and he'd see him dreaming that he'd be kicking and all kind of stuff. So I figured they're dreaming. My dog was named Epa. That's the way you say dog in Seminole. And I got that from Debbie Harper. She translated many words and made a little pamphlet out of it. And we published it. So I saw that. That's, I said, that's the perfect name for him is Epa. Where has this book been distributed? The Seminole Wars Foundation sells it still. It's illustrated? Yeah, that's something else. My wife's sister is in the printing business up in Alabama, and she put it all together in a book for me. Added some photographs. Frank Lomer told me that uh, that since it was going to be a children's book, it might be a good idea to get some children to draw the pictures instead of having photographs. So I do a class every year at the school close to where I live. I talked to the woman who's in charge of that every year and told her what I wanted to do. And she's made a contest out of it. She put out a pamphlet to all the kids or a little page that said what was going on. And I wanted some pictures thought of this, and this, three or four things. And uh, I would pick the best one to use in the book. Having your name in, in a published book ain't a bad thing to have if you want to go to college, you know. And she used that as a, a reason to get some people. I had about 15 kids, I think it was, that, that submitted drawings. And that was a hard thing to do was to sit down and look at all those pictures, but it, immediately it, it stood out who had drawn the best, you know, and I used him. He drew some good pictures, and uh, he got a copy of the book for doing it. And, and Jerry, these were drafts, and once you selected the child whose art most impressed you, then he was to do a final version. He didn't have anything to do it with. A teacher bought him an art set. Oh! Aoife, stay. Here's a sugar cube. Good boy. As we close this podcast, I will share some facts that explain some of the incidents that happened in the book. They're based on actual places and things that soldiers and Seminoles did. Then I will talk about how the illustrations came about for this book. All the water for Fort Brooke came from a spring that was located near where the Crosstown Expressway runs over 13th Street, a few blocks east of today's railroad depot in Tampa. It was hauled to the fort in a wagon as described, sometimes as many as 10 times a day. The piece of meat the colonel gave Aoife to eat would have been salt pork. Because there was no refrigeration at the time, the army used salt to preserve the meat. The colonel received double the allowance for rations because of his rank, which is why his horse, Jumper, had more hay in his stall. The settlers were always set up outside of a large fort to sell things to the soldiers that were not issued by the army. These were things such as candles, writing paper, pens, bars of soap, toothbrushes, cigars, etc. Anything they thought the soldier might buy. The soldier could even get credit on some things as his bill would be deducted from his pay later. The settlers did have cats. These cats were there to control the rat population, but the Seminoles themselves never kept cats because the Seminoles moved too much. The Boy with the Canoe was based on a children's novel, The Little Drummer Boy of Fort Brooke, and in it, he had a canoe. The banana trees are fictitious, but it is known that the Seminoles grew bananas. The fishing was real, the bay being so full of fish, fishermen came all the way from Cuba to fish there. John Horse did in fact return to Florida. Although he surrendered to the army in 1838 and was shipped to the Indian Territory in Oklahoma in June of that year, the army brought him back to Florida as a guide and interpreter in October 1838. He remained in Florida until July 1842 when he returned to Indian Territory. Jerry Morris advises us that maybe we will hear more of Aoife's adventures with John Horse in another story.
In a postscript, Jerry notes that the initial draft of the book used photographs to help tell the story. Jerry's good friend, the late Frank Laumer, who was a co-founder of the Seminole Wars Foundation, suggested that it might be more appropriate to use children's drawings instead. He contacted Mrs. Susan Farrell, the lead teacher at Dowdle Middle School in Claremel City, Florida. He had previously given presentations on Seminole War history at the school. Mrs. Farrell liked the idea, and she took his list of proposed drawings and passed it out to students who were interested. After two weeks, the drawings were turned in to Jerry for judging. All the submissions were impressive, but of the eight artists who entered, Jerry chose Tyler Thompson, whose work most closely resembled what he was looking for. In order to help Tyler prepare the final drawings, Mrs. Farrell graciously provided him with artist supplies. Jerry thanks Tyler for his excellent submissions and also thanks the other entrants for the time and effort they put into the project. They are Joanna Jimenez-Ortiz, Serenity Miller, Andrew Olibris, Sharon Van, Justin Chavez, Danley Abro, and Renisha Martinez. For anyone who wants to buy the book on IFA or Debbie Harper's book, Translating English Words to Seminole Words and Back, please go to www.seminolewars.us. Jerry Morris, thanks for joining us for the Seminole Wars. Well, thank you so much for asking me to do this. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep this show going. Visit our website at www.sumofthewars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted the Seminole Wars Podcast 2020, all rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden, Roastem, provided by kind permission of Rudy Onman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman, all rights reserved.